Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand. I am Pastor Joe Faldet. Today's sermon is going to be from Judges 7, verses 1 through 8. We're looking at Gideon's 300, what God was up to and what we can apply from that. Our sermon today is going to be taken from Judges 7. And as we continue our work through the book of Judges, we're going to be looking at Judges 7, verses 1 through 8. And I read in Jesus' name. Then Jerobbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreah, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Every one who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall, se- you shall set by himself. Likewise, every one who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and they sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this story, recording it for us, that we might study what you've done in the past. Lord, we pray that you'd bless this time. Lord, that you would guide our discussion, that you would be honored through this. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, your power, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what's going on with Gideon? What's happening here? Um, It's time. It's time for the battle. It's finally time. We've already gone through the fleece. We've gone through tearing down the... Uh, altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. We've gone through all that stuff. Now it's time for the battle. And so Gideon blows the trumpet. Well, he blew the trumpet before the fleece, actually. But Gideon blows the trumpet, and 32,000 men come up against the Midianites. Now there's somewhere around 300,000 Midianites and 32,000 Israelites. And God looks at that and says, <laughs> that's too many. That's too many. That's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a number. 32,000 men. That's a lot of people. But there's a lot of Midianites. There's a lot of Midianites. And so what's God doing? God says, you got too many people. So what are we going to do? We're going to take all of the people that are afraid and we're going to tell them to go away. Go back to their homes. Okay. So Gideon does that. Now he's left with 10,000 people. And so... What's God up to? God, thankfully, tells us why he's doing this. If God didn't tell us why, 
I honestly would have no idea. Because these are crazy actions. God's saying, you've got too many people. You've got too many people. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you less people. Because if you have so many people, if you have so much power, you are going to be tempted to say, this is because of me. This is because we're such great warriors. We Israelites are so powerful. We are so smart. We are so whatever. You're going to be tempted to boast in your own strength instead of trusting me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you into a worse position. Uh, really? Yeah. I'm going to put you into a worse position. I think God does this to us as Christians all the time. God puts us into bad positions. God says, okay, you, you are called to spread my gospel. It's like, well, okay, how am I going to do that? Do I get to use the sword? Uh, no. All right. Um, mind control techniques. No. Well, do I get to beat people up if they don't take the, you know, accept the gospel? No. All right, God, what do you want me to do? Preach the word. Really? That's it? Yeah, tell them about what Jesus did. Oh. You, you mean I don't get to punch anybody? Huh. Are you sure? How about we use some Socrates? He's pretty smart. Nope. Preach the word. Everybody likes the Stoics, God. Preach the gospel. Okay. And God puts us into that position. How are we going to change the world? Pray. God, pray and preach the word. <sighs> okay, fine. What does Paul say? Paul says, God's foolishness is stronger than the strength of men. That's what God's doing. That's what God's saying. That's what God's doing here. He's putting them into a worse position. Why? Because he wants to show the world, not just Gideon, but the world. Ever from this point and on, God wants to show the world, I'm actually powerful. See it? Get it? I'm actually powerful. You're not. You don't, you don't need to worry about that. Trust me. You can trust me. I am the true power in this world. I created this whole world. You think 300,000 Midianites is going to stand in between me and what I want? God can move mountains. God raised Jesus from the dead. Who's got the real power? Is it the Israelites? Is it Gideon? No. God's got the real power. God is the real power. God is the powerful one. God is the one we trust and we look to because God is really powerful. And so what's 300,000 Midianites? Dust. God who can hold the whole universe in the palm of his hand. Now granted, that's anthropomorphized. You know, and that's saying, meaning that God is even bigger than the universe. God can hold the whole thing in his hand. He is so big. It's so powerful. What's 300,000 people? Now, to me, 300,000 people would be a lot. But to God, they're a drop in the bucket. They're not even a drop in the bucket. They're a speck of dust. They're nothing. God is so powerful. And that's how we should approach this whole coronavirus thing. That's how we should approach 
of this financial time of crisis, that's how we should approach every single trial that we interact with in our lives. We should approach all of these trials with the understanding that God is more powerful than every one of these trials. God is greater. God is bigger. So well, if God is so great, why would I go through trials? If God is so great, why in the world would, would I have to be down to 300 men? If God is so great, why am I still suffering and struggling? It's because God's trying to teach you something. God's trying to teach you his greatness as opposed to the greatness of any other thing in this world. God's trying to teach us his worth, his power, his wisdom, his provision, and the temporary realities of this world, that this world is not our home. God is trying to teach us all of these things. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The world doesn't give peace. The world gives peace, like the peace of Islam. What is the peace of Islam? Have you ever heard about that? They talk about the peace of Islam. The peace of Islam is as long as everyone is in agreement, we'll have peace. Meaning, when everyone's a Muslim, we'll have peace. And so they say, well, Islam is a religion of peace. It's like, well, yes, once everybody becomes a Muslim, until that point, no. But in that point, yeah. That's what they believe. That's why they say that they're a peaceful religion. They're trying to bring peace, meaning they're trying to bring Islam. So that once everyone's a Muslim, then they'll be at peace. It's not actually true, but you know, that's what they believe. Jesus says, I give you a different sort of peace. What peace does Jesus give us? Jesus gives us the peace that he has conquered this world, and therefore nothing coming against us does not come against us apart from his allowance. Now, does that mean that God causes bad things? You know, we can get into debates about that. Really, it's sin that causes evil in this world. And so as I approach these trials, how do I approach these trials? Approach these trials knowing that God is the true power. The coronavirus is nothing to God. He could wipe the whole thing away right now. He can do that. I'm not saying he's going to. I'm saying he could. Because he is God. And since he hasn't, we need to approach this in a different manner. We need to approach this looking to God rather than in fear. And so who is the people then that God calls to go into battle on his behalf? The people that God calls to go into battle on his behalf are the fearless people. So in verse 3, God tells us through the author of the book of Judges, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000, oh, it's just painful to see two-thirds of their people returned and only one-third remained. 10,000, less than one-third remained. Now, we do all think that that's, that's like, that's terrible. That's, I don't need my remote. I already changed my slide. Uh, that, that's terrible. Um, but the reality is, so what? So what? God wants to, God says, okay, all of you who are trembling, all of you who are fearful, all of you who are inundated with this fear, you're here because of some other pressure. All of you who are trembling, like that's active fear, mind you. This isn't some passive fear like, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of afraid that a meteor is going to hit my car 
you know, but I'm not going to really do anything about it. Sort of fear. It's like, I'm not actually, yeah, I'm not really afraid that a meteor is going to hit my car. That would just be kind of silly. But you know, that that's a passive fear. We go on with our lives. Um, this is an active fear. This is like living inside of them sort of fear. Now, as we come to this, we have to ask the question, what is fear? And and I'm not, I'm not a very good animator, so this is going to be kind of cheesy, and I apologize. But say we have a goal. We have a goal over here, and I am over here, and then I have a clear path towards my goal. I have no reason for fear. Fear comes when an obstacle comes in my way, when an obstacle comes between me and my goal. Fear comes because now I'm afraid I'm not going to reach my goal. That's what fear is. And so the source of my fear is this obstacle, this wall, this thing that comes in between me and my goal. That's the source of my fear. Now, if that wasn't my goal, I wouldn't have that fear. But since that is my goal, since my goal exists, and now I have some sort of obstacle in the middle of it, or in between me and my goal, I can't reach my goal because of this obstacle, I feel fear. So is fear sin? No. I don't think fear is sin. Fear is the acknowledgement that there's an obstacle between me and my goal. Fear is a blessing. It's what we do with fear. Because fear is just an emotion. It's simply a reaction to what's going on in my environment. That's all emotions are, as far as I can tell. They're founded in my belief system. I'm not going to get into that super deeply. But they're founded in my belief system. And they are reactions, quick reactions, quick responses before my reasoning mind can figure out what's really going on. My emotions are responding to what's going on in my environment. They're saying, that's a danger. That's an obstacle. That's something that's going to keep you from getting where you want to be. Now, if it's a big obstacle, I feel fear. If it's a small obstacle, I feel like irritation and annoyance. You know, oh, I have to step over this. But a big obstacle gives me, I react to a big obstacle as fear. It's not whether or not we feel fear. It's what we do with fear. And that's the important part. What do we do with fear? Now, there's some people that try to ignore the obstacle, and they're just going to keep walking towards this, hoping that it goes away. That's not a good way to deal with fear. Other people try to remove fear by having no goals. That's not a good way to move in this world either, because then you're not going in any direction. If you don't have a goal, you've got no direction. If you've got no direction, you've got no way to measure success. You've got no way to measure forward progress. You've got no way to receive positive emotion. All you now have is negative emotion. They say, well, you can remove your negative emotion because you have got no goals. It's like that's actually not the way that it works. And so we need that positive emotion. We need that moving forward sort of thing. And so then we have to have goals. And you can't actually remove all of your goals. Um, and so those aren't legitimate ways to deal with fear. Legitimate ways to deal with fear is in our relationship with God. That's the only way to properly deal with fear. It's to bring these truths, it's to bring this fear to God and then to receive back from God his promises. We cling on to his promises as we bring these fears to God. 
God, I'm afraid of this. And that's why it's important that when we have that fear, that we actually take the time and we take the effort to name what are we really afraid of? What am I really afraid of? What is that obstacle really? What does that mean to me? And that's not a question that we ask of ourselves because remember when I talked about this last, when we ask a question of ourselves, when we really ponder these things, what we're doing is we're opening ourselves up to God and saying, God, I need your light to shine into my soul. I need you to reveal to me what I'm really afraid of because I'm not smart enough in and of myself to figure this stuff out. And I'm not honest enough in and of myself to figure this stuff out. I need you to reveal it to me. And so when we feel fear, we need to come to God and say, okay, God, I need you to reveal to me what I'm really afraid of and why. And then after God has done that, we can bring that to God and say, here you go, God, take this. You have promised, now take this. So that's how we deal with fear concisely. I'll get into that more in the next point because God isn't just calling people who are fearful, who are fearless rather. God is calling people who are faithful, who are faithful. And you might be saying, well, where do you get that from, Joe? Well, there's a group of people in this world that are by nature relatively fearless. No obstacle gives them any fear or they lack the capacity to observe obstacles. I, I think about this or observe potential obstacles. I think about this when I watch my kids um, because I have, I have a child uh, that is fearless. She just, she, <laughs> she just does stuff. And she doesn't think about the potential consequences. She just thinks about what she wants to do. All she's observing is her own desires and then she's acting those out irregardless of the cost. That is reckless. That's what we call reckless. No, don't jump off the roof. But I want to get down. It's like, that's not a good way to do it. Take a ladder. Jumping's going to hurt. She actually hasn't been on the roof, and that's why. She's reckless. She's fearless. That's not what God is looking for, because that's what these people are doing. Some of these people are reckless. Now, they are close to Mar Mount Mora. They are close to the Midianite camp, the hill of Mora, in the valley. And so they're right there. The Midianites are right there, and the Israelites are right there. And they, they, they know where they're at. The Israelites know where they're at. And so then you've got these people that are fearless because they are putting their heads into the water, getting down on all fours, and drinking water that way, lapping it like a dog. Well, how does a dog drink? A dog doesn't put water into its paw and then bring it to its mouth. Puts its face right there in it. On all fours, head down. Well, if you're in that position, that's not a good position to be in. Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. And so it's not talking about sticking the tongue out. Rather, it's talking about putting the head down. And then you are in a vulnerable position and anyone could attack you and you would be unawares because you're not on guard. You're not observing what's going on around you. That is evidence of someone who is fearless. They're not observing what's going on around them. They're just 
fulfilling their desires at this moment. God isn't looking for reckless. God is looking for faithful. And that is a hard line to walk. That is a line to walk that you can only walk in a deep relationship with God. Because there are obstacles towards our goals. They exist. We are called to have goals. We are called to see those obstacles. And we are called to confront those obstacles. But we don't do that in our own strength. Otherwise, we'd be sunk in fear. We're supposed to be like the 300 who knelt down, brought water to their lips. Well, if you're bringing water up, your head is already up. Now you can still look around. You can still be on guard. You can still observe the potential dangers. You're not closing your eyes to the potential dangers. You're still observing those potential dangers. But you are yet without fear. How do you do that? Two ways. You do that prayerfully. Because as we, as Christians, interact with this world, we bring these fears, we bring these goals, we bring this anxiety, we bring all of these things to God. This is our, our reaction to fear. Now, there's lots of reactions to fear. The natural reactions are flight or fight, right? That's the adrenaline rush. And then some people, they're they are more prone to fight, and so then they want to attack the obstacle, and they want to break this thing down. I had a buddy in high school who I played football with, and uh, our coach said, when, whenever you see a brick wall, your initial reaction is just to run right through it. And it's like, that was, a, he was an attacker. He didn't fear the obstacles. He thought that there was nothing beyond his power. That wasn't true. He got tackled fairly often, but it made for a good fullback. You know, rather, well, and then there's the opposite, not rather. Go figure. Rather. Then there's the opposite. Then there's the fearful person that stops. I can't pursue my goal anymore because there's an obstacle. There's a line in the streets. There's potentially bad here. And then you stop, and you freeze, and you don't move. That's prey. Not praying. That's a prey animal. That's a rabbit. Stops, and it hides. No longer goes towards its goal. That's a rat who smells a cat. Stops. So that's not seen. Because cats see movement. That's why they have the vertical slit. Sorry. In their eye. They see movement. They perceive movement easily, well. So that's why they have the vertical slit. And catches horizontal movement. And so the rat stops. The, the rabbit stops. The deer stops. And then runs away. We as Christians are called to approach obstacles prayerfully. So we bring these obstacles to the one who has the power. And so then we actually divide the line in between the two. We stop and we bring the obstacle to God so that God can attack the obstacle or so that God can grant us the wisdom or so that God can sometimes change our goal because sometimes God puts an obstacle in front of us and then doesn't remove it. Why? Because he wants us to go somewhere else. Not all obstacles are bad. Sometimes obstacles change our direction. That's a good obstacle. 
And so we bring all of these things to God. We bring the obstacle to God and we bring the goal to God and say, God, if you don't remove this obstacle, that means that you don't want me to get to this goal. What goal do you want me to set from now on? What other goal should I have? And so that wall, when we hit that wall, God doesn't say, okay, now it's time to stop. Nor does he say it's time to start beating your head against it. Sometimes he says, that's not the goal I want you going towards. That's when God shuts a door but opens a window. We hear people say that. That's kind of a nice um, cliche. But that's what that means. God shuts the door. Okay, I'm hitting this obstacle. Boom. God, you got to remove the obstacle so I can get to my goal. And God says, no. Okay. What does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't answer prayers? No. That means that God's got a different plan. It might. And so he sends us towards a different goal. So that's why we pray, because in prayer we learn to submit to God. Say, okay, God, here's my goal. Here's my obstacle. You want me to reach this goal, you have to remove this obstacle. Otherwise, I'm going to hit that. And I don't think that's what we want. And so we pray. We submit both the goal and the obstacle to God to see what he would have us do. Secondly, promiseful. Promisefully? I don't even know if that's a word. But what this means is that we hold fast to the promises of God. Because as we see, as we move towards our goal, now if you imagine this, you're moving towards your goal, you know that your goal is ahead of you. You're moving towards that goal, but there is an impenetrable wall in between you and that goal. Now as you move towards that goal, you are going to start feeling fear. What if God doesn't remove it? What if God, you know, what if I hit this wall? What if this wall breaks me? What if this wall falls on me? What if this wall eats me? You know, and those are the fears. So how do we confront those fears? After we've already brought this to God and God says, go this direction. What do we do? We hold on to the promises of God. And this is why we read our Bibles. This is why we study our Bibles. This is why we listen to sermons. This is why we, we meditate and memorize Scripture so that we can hold fast to the promises of God. God says that He will be with me. God says that He will not... Um, that no trial will overcome me, that I will not be tempted beyond what I can bear. God says that. God promises me that. God promises that He's with me. God promises that He'll guide me. As I bring these things to God, as I surrender them to God, and you know that's what Solomon's talking about in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all your ways acknowledge, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Well, sorry. Trust, that was Paul that paraphrased, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make your paths straight. And so that's the promise of God. So, okay, I've prayed about this. I've given this to God. I have given both the goal and the obstacle to God and this seems to be the direction that he wants me to go. That means that he's going to either remove the obstacle. Well, how do I know that? Because he's promised. Or that the last moment, he's going to have me turn. Well, how do I know that? Because he's promised. How do I know what God's going to do? How do I know how God's going to act? Do I know the specifics? No. But how do I know the generals? 
because of the promises of God. And so then I hold fast to the promises of God. Sometimes he has us hit that wall. But then we say, okay, God, I know that this is what's best for me. I surrender to you because he might be breaking us of something else. He might be teaching us patience. Wait here while I break down this wall or do something else while I break down this wall. Set a different goal temporarily. And this is what God does. But we can trust God. We can trust God to guide us. We can trust God to lead us. We can trust God to remove these walls. We can trust that God will teach us how to remove these walls when we need to. These barriers, these difficulties that we're afraid of. We can trust God. Because God doesn't, are these things too powerful for us? Absolutely. 300 versus 300,000. That's quite a difference. That's quite a difference. And so what's God doing? He's showing the people it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. He's showing them that. He's illustrating it. And so also we can hold on to those promises. And so today, as you feel fear, open yourself up to God and say, okay, God, why am I afraid of this? Show me. Reveal it to me. And as God does that, as God brings these things up within you and says, see, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. You can lay those things at God's feet and say, God, you've got to take care of them. And if there's sin there, then repent of it and confess it. Be forgiven. So that you might be cleansed and changed. And then as you bring those fears to God and you trust God, then hold fast to his promises. Take his promises into you. And if you don't know his promises, then you need to read the word of God. You need to listen to sermons. You need to hear it expounded and taught on. There's lots of that stuff online right now. So I encourage you, take time to find the promises of God. Meditate on the promises of God. Read your Bible. Memorize scripture. Hold fast to these promises. And then walk in them. Not recklessly, but fearlessly, confident in the power of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you defeated the Midianites with 300 men. We praise you, Lord, because we can learn from that. May we walk in such confidence. Lord, trusting you. Not denying fears, but trusting you. Lord, let us trust you. Blessed be your name, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.